Good morning, Journey Church. It is great to see you guys. Uh, what a beautiful, uh, well, what a nice spring morning we have. Maybe not beautiful, but warm anyway. Uh, I'm glad that you've joined us today. Uh, my name is Randy. If I haven't met you, I'd love to do so. Uh, we want to try to help you find your and take your next step on your journey toward Jesus. You know, I love seeing that video. I was uh, captivated. Uh, the energy like to wore me out. I was uh, like, man, those guys soar after all that work and work out. But you know, I was just thinking, on a, that is on a UK campus, and those hundreds of kids that are worshiping and coming together, and it's not just, uh, not just the kids that come out of Christian churches, you know, that are Christians when they get there. These are kids that are drawn in with a fellowship and, and love, and they come to make decisions for Jesus. I mean, uh, 12, 12 baptisms in one night, and, um, and nine of those students going on staff to impact the next year of students. That's amazing. That is great. And organizations like, um, yeah, like CSF, that we get a chance to be a part of that. People we will never know till heaven uh, the impact that we might have had. So that's pretty powerful, and I'm excited about that. And I love to see when we come together, uh, the impact time is so uh, important for me because I want to know where my investment goes. I want to know what we're doing around the world. And two of the missions that we support as a church are in Haiti. And uh, Haiti is near and dear to many of our hearts, as a lot of us have been there in the past. And although it's been several years, uh, I've been about six times. But I remember my first trip to Haiti. It's something you just never forget, I believe. Other people have shared the same sentiment. The first morning in Haiti, we we flew in one afternoon. We got there at night. We stayed overnight in a hotel in Port-au-Prince. And the next morning, early, early in the morning, we got up, got on a bus, and drove like a thousand hours. Um felt like it, worst trip of my life, uh, to the, the northern part of the country uh, where our mission that we support in St. Louis de Nord. Uh, but we, um, now you fly, but back, back in the day, we rode the bus, you know. Uh, but it was, uh, it was a trip. But, but fl- running through or driving through uh, the northern part of Port-au-Prince as we uh, began to get daylight and we saw how the people were living, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I've seen poverty in the U.S., I've seen poverty in Mexico and other places, but I've never seen poverty like it is in Haiti. And it's really hard to describe, and, and, and it's a really challenge to experience. A lot of people go uh, and come back with a really different perspective in line. When our son came back his first trip, he slept out on the deck for a week. Um, you sleep outside there a lot because it's so hot. Uh, another young lady from our church who went was seriously and even emotionally impacted uh, for some time. She just had a hard time absorbing it and thinking about what we have. But anybody that comes, that goes, always comes back grateful and more appreciative for what, what they have here in the U.S. And I really think that almost taking a trip like that ought to be mandatory for all of us. You know, every believer ought to see how other believers live sometime uh, much less fortunate. You know, the Bible says that we should do this in 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We ought to be a grateful people. Even more than just being an American and the country we live in, Christians ought to be thankful to God, give thanks in all circumstances. But let me ask you this, do you ever find yourself grumbling about some issue in your life? Do you ever find yourself complaining, grouching, you know, sharing with somebody, I wish this was better. I wish this wasn't going on my life. I think all of us probably do. Everyone, everyone that I know, most of you have complained to me about something at some point, or I've complained to you. If nothing more, talking about how 
It stinks getting old, you know, and kind of hurting and aching and pains and stuff like that. We all find ourselves complaining about things. But, you know, that's not a good thing to do. And history kind of proven that. In Exodus chapter 16, in the Bible, the Israelites were wandering the wilderness. God had freed them from Egyptian slavery. God was leading them to a land that he had promised them that he was going to give them, a land flowing with milk and honey that would be their homeland forever, and it would be perfect. Things were definitely looking up for them. But like we oftentimes do, they begin to grumble. And so in Exodus chapter 16, it said, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and we ate all the bread we wanted. But now you brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. You know, today we call this selective memory. Like I remember how things used to be, how the good old days, how how we used to have it made and this and that, when those good old days weren't all that good sometimes. But their good old days, they had pleaded with God to take them out of slavery. God, please set us free, the hardship, the oppression that we're living under. But when God did that, and then things got a little difficult in the wilderness, they began to grumble. And this moment, they were grumbling and complaining about food. The food wasn't as much or as varied as they liked. And so God said, okay, I'll send you a constant supply of food, and they called it manna. And the word manna means, what is it? Have you heard of mystery meat? Well, this is mystery bread. When you have to ask what something is, it may not be the most attractive thing, right? What is that? Uh, that's what they asked God. What is that? God said, well, that's manna. That's what it's all about. And so the God gave them manna. We know that came every day uh, for many, uh, many years in the wilderness. But instead of being thankful for that, they complained about the manna. Uh, you know, it's not varied enough. We want meat. We want meat. So God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. And so he brings in these coveys of quail that filled the camp. There was quail everywhere, and he forced them to eat quail every meal for a month. Imagine what that would be like. That's what I'm saying. Complaining is not a good thing. When God answers your complaints, it's not going to be a good thing. God takes complaining seriously. Philippians chapter 2 says, do all things without grumbling or questioning. Have you ever wondered why God takes grumbling and complaining so seriously? It's because it takes, it, he takes it personally. And God takes it personally because if we complain, it overlooks the greatness of the grace that God's given us, everything that we have, and we want more. It ignores his generosity and his faithfulness to provide. And what it does, it implies that God is not taking care of his children. It implies that God isn't big enough or strong enough or, you know, wise enough to care for us. And here's the thing, research has shown that the more we complain, the more things we find to complain about. You know, what we've been told, right? We just, sometimes you just need to vent, just need to vent. But what happens is when you vent, it doesn't solve, it doesn't make you feel any better. You just find more things you want to complain about. Complaining is never going to accomplish satisfaction or, or contentment just because you do it. And you know what? A lot of us, I think we do that as a habit, but it's much more than a habit. It's also a sin because it ignores the grace that God has shown to us. Have you ever thought about over the course of your life and consider some of the things that you complained about that maybe were actually God working out something for your good? The things that you thought were difficult. Maybe you thought you had a difficult childhood, and yet now you realize that your parents really 
kind of structured your life and gave you some good habits to grow into. You complained about that, but it really was God moving and working. And maybe you found a difficult job, but through that, you discovered that, wow, God, God really taught me how to have a good work ethic. And God blessed me because it was tough and they were hard on me, but it was really good. God can take anything bad and make it good. If God can turn the death of Jesus Christ, his son, into our salvation, then God can take almost anything with whatever we're going through and make it good and make it right and use it for our ultimate good. And maybe some of the difficult times and circumstances of your life were God designed for your good. We didn't see it at the moment. You didn't see what God was doing. You were too busy grumbling about how hard it was to see that God might be trying to do something good in your life and show his grace and protection. Several years ago, Garth Brooks sang a song, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Ever pray something that now you're grateful God didn't answer it the way you were seeking it? You know, maybe it was someone in your life that you want, really thought you were going to marry, but God uh, didn't allow that relationship to work out, or maybe you didn't make it into the college you wanted, or you, you missed some promotion or some other big disappointment in life, and you can't imagine why God didn't do what you asked him. But now you look back, and you see God's hand, you see his working, you see his grace. God protected you from yourself. Maybe you were pursuing something, but God's grace said, no, no, I'm not going to let you go that path. You don't need that. We may never see God's grace and provision until much later. And then only if we look for it, only if we find it. You know, I look back over my life in the 1970s, long time ago, I was in high school and I was in FFA. I loved FFA. That was my thing. And, and I really wanted to be a farmer. I mean, I thought I would be a great farmer. And uh, I even had my tractor picked out. I wanted, Dad was a Massey Ferguson guy, but I wanted an a international, a 574 international. But the problem, I didn't have any money. I mean, I was making a little bit of money on my projects, but not enough to start farming. And I knew that there was no way. My dad wasn't even a full-time farmer. I couldn't be a full-time farmer. And I knew that God probably had a different plan for me. I didn't know what it was. Uh, was. I knew what it wasn't. It wasn't going to be in ministry. Uh, but that's where I ended up, by the grace of God. By the grace of God. God didn't let me be a farmer because I think he wanted me to be a minister here. Fast forward 50 years, because that's where we are today, right? Lori and I have a mini farm. And a couple of weeks ago, I finally got that tractor. I actually got that tractor, that model of tractor, that same international. Now it's 50 years old. God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? He's like, I'll give you that tractor. You're just going to have to wait 50 years to get it, you know? Here's the amazing things. God's grace is always there. It's greater than our circumstances. Whatever you're complaining about, whatever you're dealing with right now, God has a plan. God is probably smiling and thinking, one day they're going to see. If they'll stick with me, one day they're going to see how much better off they'll be because my grace is greater than their current circumstances. His grace is always there. It's always there, but here's the thing. We are only able to receive God's grace to the extent that we're able to recognize our need for it. You cannot receive God's grace if you're resistant to it, if you're, if you're you know, uh, angry at God because he doesn't solve your immediate problem. You can only experience God's grace to the extent that you're able to recognize your need for it. Most of us don't like to admit that we have weaknesses. And most of us don't think about celebrating those weaknesses. But whenever we celebrate the weakness and the struggle that we're in, we actually discover 
that God is able to open the floodgates and pour grace into our lives more and more. So the more we're able to acknowledge our weakness, the greater our opportunity is going to be to experience God's power in our lives and the more influence we, have for, we can have for him down the road. In fact, this builds our testimony in that we look back and see what God did in our past. That's the most powerful testimony in our life. God did this. I was there. I thought it was over. God did this. God made it right. So here's the thing. Wherever you are right now in life, in this moment, God's grace is still moving, and God will use this moment for your good down the road and for his glory. The Apostle Paul is a great example of this. Paul started the church in Corinth, and God had a great love for them. Kind of cool that, that, that this is a kind of prelude to next week, because next week we start a new series on the book of 1 Corinthians, which is going to be really, really interesting and I'm excited to get into that. But anyway, Paul wrote this first letter to the, the church in Corinth, and he addressed several problems and encouraged them to be faithful. I mean, he really comes down on them because they, they, were, they were a mess. They were a hot mess. But after he wrote this first epistle to them, several false teachers came in, and they began to undermine Paul and his ministry. Now, if you're trying to do good and somebody comes along and tries to undercut that, I mean, how discouraging that would be. And so here is Paul. He knows what's going on. He loves these people. He started this church. He's got people coming in who are supposed to be Christians, and they're undercutting his ministry and undercutting him. And so he writes a second letter to them, 2 Corinthians, to, uh, to kind of defend himself and to make a statement of his strengths and qualifications of an apostle, because they were saying, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, he kind of came in late and you know, just kind of undercutting his reputation. But here's what Paul wrote in the second epistle. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone often without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. So Paul is just kind of laying out, this is what I have been through. I mean, there was no exaggeration. All this was kind of, you know, obvious and held up if people knew the life of Paul. And then he shares a miraculous experience that he's had in 2 Corinthians 12, I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. So Paul says, look, this is all I've been through, but let me tell you, on top of that, I've been up into paradise. I've been up into heaven. I've seen things that I can't even speak. I can't even tell you the words. You know what? Paul was a, this missionary machine. He never stopped. He never slowed down in his ministry. And you would think that he was boasting. You know, he, he'd been through all these things. He's boasting for his own advantage, boasting about his sacrifices and boasting about where he had been and what he had seen and what he had done. But look at really what it comes down to. He's just stating facts at this point. He said, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to boast about only about my weaknesses. 
If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. You know, this is one of the questions that a lot of people have. What in the world was Paul's weakness? What was his thorn in the flesh? He's saying, I'm going to boast about this weakness that I have. You know, theologians have disagreed and they suggested several things that might be an issue of Paul, that maybe Paul has struggled with an infirmary or illness. A lot of people said Paul had bad eyes or he had a bad back or he had epilepsy or some other physical issue. Luke, who was a good friend and a historian, wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He was a doctor who oftentimes traveled with Paul along the way. So that might give a hint that he needed medical care all the time. Other people suggested that it was some inability. Like maybe Paul wasn't really a people person. He wasn't the warmest personality uh, to people. Or maybe he was an introvert or not an eloquent or a persuasive speaker. Um, All this in spite of the fact that he was a great missionary, he was a primary spokesman for Christianity, and he wrote about half the New Testament. You know, uh, if he had that kind of limitations, imagine what it would be like if he hadn't had it. Or maybe it was some other inadequacy that Paul had. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it limited his ministry. And he felt like that if this was taken away, it would be so much better. Have you ever felt like that in life? That if this problem, this person, this circumstance, this weakness, whatever it is, if that were taken away, you would be so much happier, you would be so much more effective, you would enjoy life. You know, that's not really the thing, is it? It's, it's in your heart and mind that you're not content and you're complaining, you're not content with where you are. Whatever that circumstance was, Paul recognized it. And he recognized how it impacted and limited his ministry, but he also recognized that thorn in the flesh as a gift from God to keep him from becoming proud. Having seen heaven, he could be very arrogant about that. But Paul knew that God had given him this thorn in the flesh to keep him from being arrogant. And he asked God to take it away like all of us would do. Makes sense. Take this away. I can do more for you. But it seems to remain throughout his life. Look at the next verses. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That is why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Nobody ever thinks about that in this world, do we? We don't think about our weaknesses being a way for us to find strength. Paul actually took pleasure in his weakness instead of shame. He didn't hide that. He didn't didn't use that as an excuse. God, I can't do anything for you because I got this problem like we would oftentimes do. No, he said, I'm going to boast in that. He knew that God's grace was all he needed. And when he recognized his weakness and celebrated it, he received more grace. God used him in spite of his weakness. God's grace is greater than your circumstances or your weakness, whatever it may be. And we all have them. We all have something that we wish was different or was better. Childhood, decisions we made, you know, adult decisions, whatever it may be, circumstances 
We all wish it was better, right? Everyone that God used greatly in the Bible and in history had a clear awareness of their own weakness and trusted God to overcome them. I, I think back, and, and I'm not a great historian, but I think back about great church fathers and leaders, and almost every one of them had issues. They had issues. I, there was one guy who had a horrible marriage. He and his wife, you know, it was just it was well known. Their marriage was horrible. But God used him in a great way, and he was faithful in that, in spite of it. People with health issues, people, you know, who had bad histories where they had been in the past, and God used them in amazing ways because his grace is greater than all of our circumstances and our, our issues. It is sufficient. It's always enough, no matter the need. But we're only able to experience God's grace when we admit the need that we have, when we celebrate, acknowledge, and celebrate our weaknesses. Now, here's the last thing I want you to see about grace is that we can trust God's goodness even when life is difficult. Even when life is difficult, we may be fully aware of God's grace and God's goodness when things are going well for us, but we lose sight of it whenever things are difficult. When we're on top of the world and we're being blessed, man, it's easy to see God's grace. But when things are turned the corner and they're hard, we forget about the grace of God. My favorite verse of the scripture is in Romans chapter 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose for them. I love that verse of scripture because it doesn't say everything's good. It says everything is work, works together for good for those who love the Lord and are called to his purpose. Later in the chapter, he adds this, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What an amazing promise. And we can rest assured in that because we know the end of the story. In the back of our minds, we know the end, but why do we worry about the details right now so much? We forget about the, 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 the ending and we're focusing on the moment. There are going to be tough times for us, every one of us. Sometimes the good that God's working out for us is not what we expect. Sometimes the good it's hard to see. It's, it's evasive in our life. Our momentary issues are going to include discomfort and pain and suffering, but God's grace is greater. It is greater. God is, His grace is working in your pain to draw you closer to Him. How many people would, would never think of God until they come to a difficult time in life and they can't solve their own issues and they cry out to the Lord? That is, would be the greatest thing in the world. If our momentary issues brought us to God in our pain, draw just closer to him. When you walk through suffering with the awareness of God's grace, you come to know him in ways that you never would have known him without the suffering. Also, God's grace is working in your pain to make you more like Jesus. More like Jesus. As hard as it may be to accept and realize your pain has a purpose. Your pain has a purpose. You know, sometimes people who are struggling will say this. I know that God has a reason for this. You ever say that? God has a reason for this. And when I try to wrap my head around that, sometimes it always doesn't make sense. God has a reason for it. Here's what I like better and what I think is more appropriate. 
is that God always has a purpose in this. He always has a purpose in this. He may not have a reason for for letting something happen, but God has a purpose for our suffering, and that's always going to be to make us more like Jesus. And you know what? If there is a purpose for our pain, it's a lot easier to understand and accept. If we have a purpose, it's easier to accept. You know, several years ago, I had a kidney stone. And uh, I know that women say that giving birth is the worst pain in the world, right? And I'm going to have to take your word for that. But I would say that a kidney stone is the worst pain that I have ever experienced in my life. Never, can't even imagine, I don't even know how to explain how bad it was, right? I think the two probably rank near each other. So I'm going to give women that point, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to say, guys, uh, anybody has a kidney stone knows how horrible that is. But there is a big difference in choosing pain versus having no choice. And I'm going to say this, that women are tougher than men because they choose multiple times sometimes to have a baby. You know, Lori, after our, our first baby was born, Lori said, why would anybody ever do that again on purpose, you know, <laughs> ever have a baby? But then we had a, we had a, a second baby by, by birth. But no man has ever chosen to have a kidney stone. I promise you. No reason in the world you would ever choose to do that. Childbirth is pain with a purpose. You're choosing the pain because you have a purpose or reason for that. Childbirth produces something good and precious. There is a purpose for and from the pain. And whenever we look at it in that way, God, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not even going to say you got a reason for this, but I know you have a purpose And down the road, I'm going to experience that purpose. God's grace in our pain is a promise that whatever pain we're going through in this life does not get wasted. Do not waste a pain. Do not waste a suffering in your life. If you got something going on, then you need to use that and look for God's grace and glory in it because your pain will give birth to something good, but only if you trust him through the suffering. Hebrews chapter 11 reminds us that now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We have to have faith that God has a good outcome. We have confidence and assurance of his grace, even though we can't see it at the moment. And we have to trust that God is doing something, even when it's not obvious. In 1921, there was a missionary couple, uh, David and Sveev Flood from Sweden, and they went to the Belgian Congo to do mission work. They went to a remote area where people there had never, ever heard about Jesus. 1921, uh, unreached area. The chief of the tribe that they went to would not let them come into the village. He made them stay outside the village in a hut all alone, and the only contact they had was a young boy who was allowed to come out and sell them food periodically. So they brought food out. Only contact with the village was this little boy. They spent time with him. They led him to the Lord, but that was their only success. They were isolated from everybody else, far from their, their missionary friends, and they were alone. And finally, the wife, Sveve, became pregnant with their second child. She suffered through it, She contracted malaria and died shortly after this little girl was born. David was crushed. I mean, he felt like his life was over. He took this newborn baby, took her to the mission house, the main mission house there. He gave gave her to the missionaries there and said, I'm done. I'm going home. You know, I have lost my wife. I can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. And he took his little boy and he went back home. 
And the missionaries adopted this little girl, and they brought her to the U.S. to raise her. And they named the little girl Aggie. And she grew up uh, in their home as a believer, of course. And then one day, years later, she checked her mailbox, and for some unknown reason, she has no idea why, she found a Swedish magazine in her mailbox. wasn't raised uh, in that country or in that nationality, but she found this, this magazine. She began to flip through it, and she found in this magazine a photo of her mother's grave and the story about her parents, her birth parents who had gone to the Congo and, uh, and, and everything that had happened there, the sad story. And so she felt God led her to travel to Sweden to find her birth father, who had remarried, fathered four more children, and who had literally ruined his life with alcohol, angry at God. She was warned that he was old, he was ill, he was alone, furious with God. But she went to her father, her birth father, and she walked in and she said, Papa. And as soon as she said that, he knew who she was, he began to cry, and he apologized for abandoning her uh, as a baby. She had reassured him, hey, it was okay. You know, uh, God had taken care of her. He'd given her good parents. had raised her up to know the Lord and that God had been in her life. And when, he, she, when she said this, he stiffened and his tears stopped. And this is what he said. He said, God forgot all of us. Turning to the wall, he said, our lives have been like this because of him. Angry at God. But Aggie said to him, Dad, uh, Papa, let me tell you a story. She said, that little boy that you and mama led to the Lord grew up to lead his entire village to faith in Jesus. That little boy. Today, more than 600 African people are serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. You did not go to Africa in vain. And mama did not die in vain. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you. And when he heard these words, David Flood was stunned. He had never, he had no idea of this. His whole body relaxed and they talked for hours. And by that evening, he had come back to the God that he had resented for decades. And within a few weeks, he passed in death to his eternal home with God in heaven. Now that is a story with a good ending, right? But how much better it would have been if David hadn't lost faith in God's goodness and God's grace, if the circumstances and the hurts and the brokenness in his life had not turned him away from God, but he had drawn closer to God and trusted that God was doing something good, even though he couldn't see it. You know, it's easy for us to look at someone like David Flood and say, wow, he just quit too soon, you know, but what about you? What about you? In what area of your life do you need to be reminded that grace is greater? I guarantee you it's something. I don't know what it is. It's probably different for every one of us. But God's grace is greater. It's greater than your mistakes. We talked two weeks ago. It's greater than your hurts. We talked about last week. And grace is greater than your circumstances. It is the greatest. The greatest. You know, I was standing there right before I came up this morning, and I thought, you know, we have so much in life that distracts us. We have good, we have bad. We have, we're going to do this. We did this last week. We are focused on all these things. But there will come a day when all of those things are non-existent. And they won't even matter. Your failures, 
will not matter. Your successes will not matter. Everything that we know in this moment will be gone except for the reality of standing before the Lord. I don't know about you, but I don't live in an awareness of that all the time. But it hit me this morning about that, that everything that engages our time, our our money, and our interest, all those things are going to be gone when we stand before the Lord. That's all that's going to matter. And you know, sometimes some people never get a moment in life with that reality, and they pass from this world angry at God or detached from God, unknowing, not connected with God. But all of us have this moment right now to, to, to become connected with Him and to come to Him. And so we're going to have a time of response here in just a moment that if you've not given your life to Christ, and if you know for sure, honest with yourself, that if you were to die today, this moment, that you would not go to heaven because you've not made any plans and you have no connection, no relationship with God, then I can't think of a better time than today to step forward and, and to make that decision. You can leave this place with hope and assurance, even though maybe you came in without him. And, you know, I don't want to minimize, by, by talking about God's grace, I don't want to minimize your circumstances, your struggles, or your weaknesses right now. All of us have issues, illness, inability, inadequacies. We all feel that. I don't want to minimize those at all. They're real to you, and they're, they're in the moment. But God's grace is greater. It's bigger. And if you want to have his grace applied to your life, and you need to praise God for the grace you've experienced or you want someone to talk to you about your, your issue or your need or your relationship with the Lord, we want to do that. I'm going to be up front. I'm going to ask uh, Zach and, and Tony to be available up here. And Joanne's going to come forward to kind of be available to intercede, to pray with you if you want someone to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. Today is a day, awesome day. Could be the, the first day of the rest of your life that leads into eternity. And there's nothing better than that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we just come this morning because we want to be your people. And God, we're living in the reality and the awareness right now of what really matters. Father, the pressing things of life, the moments that maybe we carried in here with us, maybe we were looking for something, an answer or a solution to a problem. Father, maybe we just came... Um, because someone invited us and we didn't really have any expectation, but Lord, maybe you've spoken in a, in a fresh way to us, God, you've become real. And if Father, if that's so, then we want to respond. We got to respond to that, Lord, in the moment before the world clouds and obscures everything else. So Father, I pray that each of us would be doing business with you right in this moment, Lord. And Father, that we would come forward to offer our prayers of thankfulness, of, of request, of... Uh, crying out, Lord, whatever it may be. And God, I know that you listen. God, remind us that no matter what we deal with, your grace is greater. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.